you guys hear about the um, the dead groundhog? Oh no, that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> no. The one in uh, Wyerton. Is this Puxatawney Phil? Is that who the Canadians follow, or is that an American groundhog? No, we have our own. You have your own groundhog. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Fred La Marmotte in Quebec. Oh. So they were, they, you know, yesterday's Groundhog Day. I didn't know that. I don't, oh, I, I don't remember <laughs> these things. But uh, they, the celebration had begun, and they, they were going to bring out the groundhog. And then one of the organizers came up on stage and announced that he had died while hibernating. Oh no. Oh, that seems like a really bad omen. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean in the Groundhog soothsaying <laughs> manual? I was thinking, actually, maybe it's, uh, this connects really well to our, the discussion we want to have today. And maybe the way we can do that is by saying, you know, the Groundhog is dead. We get to make our own future. Oh. Wow, that's very creative. I like it. Let me introduce us then. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Generation Squeeze's Hard Truths podcast. My name is Umer. I'm the Knowledge to Action Lead with Gen Squeeze, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Megan Wild, who is our Strategic Communications Lead, uh, as well as by Karim Kudus, who is a member of our Board of Directors and a contributor to our research. Uh, and actually, the impetus for today's discussion was something that Karim wrote for the Gen Squeeze blog, uh, or I guess we're not calling it the blog anymore, right? It's the News and Insights Bulletin? Is that right, Megan? I don't know that we've used the word bulletin, but I do like bulletin. <laughs> okay, but news and insights. And uh, yeah, the, the piece that Kareem wrote was called Hope for Change, and it, it described some of his experience joining Gen Squeeze as a volunteer, you know, why he did that, what sorts of things he's been able to learn as part of that uh, and contribute to it. And so we thought we'd talk about that as well as some of the other writing that Kareem has been doing on his own Substack. Yeah. So maybe to start off with Kareem, could you tell us about that piece in particular, Hope for Change? Yeah, for sure. So that piece... I wrote, I guess, a year into my time with Gen Squeeze, which was really 2022. I started at the beginning of the year, and I wrote that towards the end of the year. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of show people what's going on um, inside of the organization, what we're doing, how we go about doing it, and also some of the things I learned, because I thought that would be very useful for people to understand, um, like, kind of how things work, you know? So I think it's easy to um to think that there's no hope and that's kind of why i called it hope for change or why we named it hope for change it feels like there's so many bad things going on and that a lot of them were inevitable a lot of them were just going to happen and we had no choice or no say in the matter and what i tried to show in that piece what i learned is that so many of the things that are going wrong come from decisions and policies that were made in the past that might not be optimal anymore and they're still sticking around and still causing issues. So we need to be aware of these things and we need to realize that we can actually change them. We have the power to create new policies and to create new rules that our society is governed by to help things function better. I wonder if we could back up even more because I would love to hear more about what you were feeling, that sense of no hope when you decided to start volunteering with Gen Squeeze. 
Yeah, I guess what I was feeling at that time was that I had spent a lot of the pandemic reading um, into a lot of things. I described in the article how I was thinking about things like, why is hallway medicine becoming normal in Ontario? Why are house prices going up? And I started digging into kind of the foundations of these issues and the root causes of them. And I realized, as I mentioned, a lot of them are driven by these policies that we enacted decades ago and that just aren't serving us anymore. And uh, these were things that could change. So I felt like I needed to join an organization to try and actually do something about them and impact uh, those policies rather than just sitting back and uh, watching things go wrong. All right. There's a lot of organizations out there that you could have joined. What made you choose Gen Squeeze? Yeah, there definitely are a lot of organizations out there working in a similar space. But Generation Squeeze was the only one that I found that really um, what Gen Squeeze was working on at the time really aligned with uh, the stuff I was interested in and what I thought were the big issues. In particular, I was researching a lot about inflation, how it's measured, potential issues with that. And I attended a session where Paul Kershaw, the founder, was talking about those exact same issues. And I had never heard anyone mention these things before. Uh, so that's why I decided on this organization in particular. We actually had talked with you in a lot of detail about how the consumer price index doesn't really take uh, housing costs into account. So people can go back and listen to that podcast episode that we did quite a while ago. But let's maybe just briefly, if you want to talk a little bit about that and why you think the gen squeeze sort of analysis make made sense. So at a high level, the issue, as you mentioned, is that our measure of inflation CPI doesn't take into the take into account the cost of purchasing a home. So this was kind of something obscure when Gen Suisse first started talking about it a year ago. No one was really worried about inflation. Interest rates had been low for so, so long at that time that no one was really thinking about or talking about these things. But what we realized is that inflation that many Canadians were experiencing was much higher than what CPI was suggesting for the last decade or even longer than that. And if inflation was being measured properly, interest rates would have gone up and that would have stalled out and cooled the housing market uh, long before what has happened now. And that's kind of played out. We've see, we're seeing it happen in real time now as interest rates have risen, the housing market has really cooled off. So what we were arguing back then was that this should have happened a long time ago and uh, things, this cooling off wouldn't be as painful of a process. It would have happened much sooner and things would never have been allowed to get so out of control. Kareem, do you know that that's one of our top, I think it's like the third most listened to episode, maybe? Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. So That's good to hear. It was a great episode. Yeah, people should definitely check it out. So then in this piece that you wrote, I mean, you, you talk a bit about, you know, the feeling, feeling apathetic or feeling sort of drained when considering, you know, the idea of trying to change things. And I think a lot of us are feeling that. And that's, you know, you highlight how this last provincial election in Ontario had the lowest voter turnout in, in our entire history. And so how did you come to grips with that and then try to move past that sort of feeling of hopelessness? Yeah, I kind of realized that 
doing something, not just for myself, for all of us, is really the only option. So we can let things just go on how they've been going on. We can check out of the political process and we can just let whatever happen happens. And that feels like almost the easier decision. But you can't check out of this process. These things are going to impact your life, whether you like it or not, whether you participate or not. So it seems almost like the obvious answer that you kind of need to or have to do something because it's really the only option outside of um, just letting whatever happen happens to you with no say in it. Megan, what do you think about that? And I, I, I wonder what your perspective is, Megan, on the Canadian political scene. Because you're, for our listeners, Megan is American. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know what I was actually thinking of was a more just personal perspective, because I, I have a friend who's a counselor, and she has this pithy way of looking at how to solve any problem. And you can either change the situation, feel better about the problem tolerate the problem or stay miserable and let it get worse. <laughs> and I think like when we as citizens are frustrated or feeling hopeless, we, we kind of have those same choices and it is easier to stay miserable and, and let it get worse because we're all busy. And especially for me, I have three kids. It's, it's hard to make time to, to do anything. Yeah. You know, I, this is something I struggle with. I, I feel like I spent most of my 20s as an activist, whether it was on campus or in communities, trying to kind of stay involved politically. And then now that I, I'm a parent and the time that I, that I have is, is much more constrained, it, you know, it feels like if I wasn't a part of the work that I'm doing as part of Gen Squeeze, you know, it would be a lot harder to actually remain politically engaged. And yeah, I wonder how that, like how that is for people who aren't working in, in the nonprofit sector like I am, like me and Megan are. And, and Kareem, like you're a grad student at the moment. So I guess in a, in a way, I guess you have a little bit more time or you have the ability to kind of make your own schedule, right? But how, how do we sort of ask people who already are so time constrained, how do we ask of them that they take time to kind of engage in st something that obviously we, we would like everyone to be engaged in, but we recognize is, is difficult? Yeah, I think that's a hard thing to ask of people, I guess, especially, you know, like in this economic environment, life is getting so much more expensive. With that comes a lot of stress um, and people really don't have much extra time. But I think what I would say just come back, comes back to why I decided um, that I need to get involved is that you kind of have to or else things might not work out. You can work as hard as you want, but if you're living in an economic system where hard work isn't rewarded or it's just um, you might not be able to get anywhere on your own. We kind of all need to come together to get things working properly so we can all get ahead. I, I do think often of waves and how you always have to remember that waves are all just drops of water. And even if you do feel hopeless just becoming part of something that's moving in the direction you want the force of a mass of people working in unison and, and hoping for the same thing has a lot of power. So I think we offer that a lot as a way to 
contribute through Jen Squeeze is just saying, yes, I support this. I, I'm with you. That That is an act of change. I'm curious, actually. So, Cream, like, is it really the pandemic and the opportunity to reflect? Is that then that led you to do this? Because that's, that's sort of how you wrote it in the piece that I wonder, like, prior to that, what was your engagement with politics more generally and maybe activism in particular? Yeah, my engagement, as embarrassing as it is to say, was completely non-existent until a few years ago. Um, I was, like everyone, focused on my career, focused on getting myself ahead, doing well in life. And I guess it was a few years ago when I was working in finance. I really didn't like working in finance, and I spent a lot of my time there um, studying the economy. My job was to come up with macroeconomic base, interest rate base trading strategies. So I would spend a lot of time thinking about how the economy works. And through that, I kind of um, got the feeling that nothing really made sense, like something was wrong here and things weren't working the way that it seemed that they should. So eventually I left my career in finance, but I kind of still had that feeling inside of me that I uh, things weren't working the way they were supposed to. And then during the pandemic, Eventually, I had that opportunity to take the time, step back and explore what was going on. And that's what led me to uh, these things that I think I've figured out that are going wrong, like this uh, CPI issue. And Megan, how about you? I mean, we've been working together now for a few months, and I am quite curious about your origin story, I guess, if I may put it that way, as as someone who's sort of interested in these things. Because again, you are not only are you American, you're, you're from Texas. And you have a, I guess, a conflicted relationship with your place of origin, if I, if I could say that. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a big origin story, but I don't. Do we go into it? I, I wasn't really ready for that. <laughs> let's let's not take away from Kareem. <laughs> I'd like to learn more about you, and I'm sure Kareem would too. Me too, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so we we left Texas for reasons. Um, I remember the first day that we decided we didn't want to stay in Texas was we were on our way to a mall in El Paso because we lived in a little bitty town uh, in the middle of the desert. And El Paso was our nearest big city where we'd have to go for any medical care. And so we were on our way there. And like literally 10 minutes from the mall, we started getting lots of texts from friends and family saying, where are you? Don't go to the Walmart. And and that was the day of the Walmart shooting in El Paso, which is right next door to the mall that we were going to. And my husband is from Northern Ireland, so he grew up with soldiers training guns on him as he walked to school. And this was actually after he'd already been through what they now just coldly call an active shooter situation in Texas schools. He'd had to lock down in a classroom because there'd been a school shooting in Alpine and somebody, I guess as a as a prank, called the university and said that the shooter was there. So he had to try to save his classroom full of students and he was just done. He was really done. <laughs> he didn't he didn't leave Belfast to go to another place where that kind of acceptance of gun violence was was normal. So that was, you know, that was many years ago. We started thinking about it then, about where do we go? Do we leave Texas to go to another state? Do we leave the country? Do we go to the UK, Ireland? You know, started really thinking broadly. 
and then you know in the meantime I lost uh, another friend to gun violence just recently when I visited Texas I found out about a former student of mine who had been killed by her, or shot by her husband who then shot himself so that's one one thread is just how normal that has become and how sacred guns are to so many Americans including some of my in-laws like my brother-in-law until he had a toddler would literally have a gun in every corner like every room had to have a gun in the corner in case somebody intruded his house and he was a former police officer so I mean he did have some training and and that was his perspective. But um, what else? Healthcare? Oh my God, healthcare! <laughs> Just uh, you know, like I, I have three kids. They have a lot of medical needs, just as kids do. Things like finding out that my child's EpiPen was going to cost four thousand um, dollars. Having to pay like a third of my husband's salary just to have a baby. All these things add up over time and make you realize that a system is headed in a bad direction. So I think as to the question of like, how do you change things? I I, I gave up. We chose to leave because we thought, again, like, I don't know that I would have if it was just me, but especially having my husband coming from the UK where healthcare was free to him it was just he couldn't he couldn't stand it so that combined with the guns and other things you know those were two, the two biggies that that made us think we needed to get out so i do think you know obviously there's a lot of virtue in in trying to fix a broken system from within so i feel a little bit like i have my tail between my legs here because when I was in a broken system for too long. And I mean, I, I do have some activist background too, knocking on doors and getting petitions and rallies and protests, but I did, I did kind of give up. But you didn't completely give up because here you are part of Gen Squeeze and you're trying to create change here in Canada, even though, you know, as someone who has that kind of background and, ex- and experience with how things are in the US, you could have come here and said, oh, things in Canada are great. They are. They are great, but they could be better. <laughs> and some of the great things are, are threatened, I think. Right. This is kind of um, a tangent. Megan, you probably have experience with this, but you know, brushing a toddler's teeth can be a bit difficult. So Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty treacherous. So one of the ways one of the ways that I've figured out how to do it is just to sing songs. And his uh, favorite song at the moment is the Star Spangled Banner. Oh my goodness. How did you end up even singing that? What dark corner of your brain? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm someone who like hums and sings songs often. So like, I guess uh, one day I was probably just singing, Oh, say, can you see? And, you know, so that's what we sing. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I think about this because I, I, I get to sing this song, you know, and I think about American nationalism quite a bit. And I kind of, I'm going to get in trouble maybe for saying this, but like American nationalism really resonates with me, like in a way that I think Canadian nationalism doesn't. Hmm. What do you, what do you mean that resonates with you? Like you feel proud of America or you, are you, what, what do you mean? Like it makes sense that one would sort of look at American history and feel this profound sense of achievement 
the American Republic is, you know, for all of its faults, it's the creation of like the first modern nation state, right? And overthrowing British tyranny, which we all hate, right? And then at the same time, you know, as a Canadian, whenever I go to the U.S., the first thing you notice is like the number of American flags. That was something we really appreciated when we moved here was that there weren't Canadian flags flying everywhere. And then when the Freedom Convoy happened and the flag, I felt like I saw it getting co-opted by the same type of movement that co-opted the American flag and, and turned it into something that meant something else. And now I think I, since moving here, I have seen a, a change in the number of Canadian flags on cars. And I think particularly when I see them on cars, it, it does make me think of, of Texas and American flags on trucks in Texas. What do you all feel when you see that now? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it is a little, it does resemble a little bit. And, and, and I guess what I was trying to say is I, I think the number of sort of flags you see in the US, it makes one think that there is a, a level of insecurity, you know, like this need to be so expressive about American nationalism, it actually expresses a fair bit of insecurity about how one feels about like the state of the American nation, right? You, you kind of have to go out of your way to sort of express how proud you are. Whereas here in Canada, prior to the Freedom Convoy, at least, we didn't have this kind of expressiveness about our nationalism. And perhaps that's because we have a welfare state, like uh, the project of sort of nation building is, you know, at a place where we don't need to kind of be so expressive. We can kind of just be more subtle about it. I think that expression of nationalism is actually more of a symptom of division in America because it's not expressing patriotism to the outside world. It's expressing patriotism within the U.S. and signaling to other people within the U.S. because just in my lifetime, I think it was maybe some point in college when I started to see more and more flags. Like, I don't remember growing up and, like, my grandfather had a flag because he served in the army. Like, it wasn't something that you saw on cars. So it's almost become another type of bumper sticker politics and... um which is really sad. That's interesting. I didn't realize that had changed. Yeah, and I, it just seems to me like the erosion of a substantive project of nation building where people's needs are actually met, you know. Instead, you have this kind of, like this empty rhetoric of like, what is freedom and, and whatnot. In the same way we have the, here with the, the sort of freedom convoy, right? It, yeah, it doesn't have any substance as far as actually building the kind of nation that we would be proud of and where, you know, gun violence, for instance, wouldn't be rampant as in the U.S. But now we're in a very different place from where this discussion started. So perhaps we can, one of you uh, could bring us back. Well, I, I guess we could go back to, uh, I would like to know more about what it was like to participate in these meetings with StatsCan and to actually, like, what was it like for you to to begin that process of taking action and being part of Gen Squeeze? Yeah, it was uh, an interesting experience. There were a lot of ups and downs throughout it. There were times where we spoke to people who had the power to make change and they didn't seem interested for a variety of reasons. And then we spoke to other people who 
had some influence. They were supportive of us. So it does feel like we've made some progress, even though we don't really have anything concrete yet. We seem to have been able to start some discussions, at least around um, the issues that we're talking about, which is an important step. Just talking about it, getting people to understand is, I think, maybe the biggest hurdle to making change because we're all on different pages about a lot of things. A lot of the issues we're dealing with now are really big and complicated. And yeah, it's a hard thing to do to get people to understand what's really going on. And you're also a member of the board of directors at Gen Squeeze. So what's that like? Yeah, that's interesting as well to see how things operate from, um, I don't know what to call it, a, an administrative level. That doesn't sound very exciting when you put it that way. But there's a lot that goes into it, into running an organization like Generation Squeeze. And it's also been fun to think about some higher level things like how do we get people to engage with Generation Squeeze? How do we motivate people? How do we give people hope and help them to believe that things can actually change? So those have been challenging, but fun problems to spend some time working on. Yeah. And I mean, we may as well uh, highlight some of them. So one of the things that we've been having an exchange about over email, Kareem, is maybe we could create a subreddit for Gen Squeeze where people could engage with our work. And I think we concluded that it probably wouldn't get that much traction given how other organizations who have subreddits, like how, you know, they're not particularly uh, active. So yeah, this is something that we are continuing to explore. We do get a fair bit of engagement through email um, and sometimes a bit through our social media, but this is something that we're, we're going to have to continue to figure out. So if people have uh, thoughts and ideas, please do share them with us. Yeah, and I guess what we were discussing, Umair, is that there's a type of engagement between ourselves as the organization and the members of the organization. And those are kind of a one-way communication through email or through uh, yeah, email for the most part. But I think, and we both think, that it would be beneficial to kind of create a community out of Generation Suisse, having us not just discuss between the members and the organization, but between different members themselves. So people can feel like, one, they are meeting people and know people who are interested in the same things, which can help to motivate you to know that you're not alone. And then also you can feel like you're part of something and that you really can make progress by all working together. Because right now everyone is kind of, yeah, not connected as much as we could be. Yeah. So that's good. Oh, sorry, Megan, you were going to say something about that. Oh, no, no. I was just going to point out that it uh, might be a good time to wrap up because I have to go to that meeting at 11. <laughs> right. So how do we want to wrap up here? Do we want to wrap up in a kind of rara way? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave you the, you're the, the cheerleader here, Amir. <laughs> All right. So looking ahead then, um, when, when I think about the future and I think about hope, you know, there, it, it just seems so difficult because it's like the problems of the pandemic and now inflation and problem in the healthcare system. It's like one problem sort of piled on top of another and it, things just keep piling up. And for me, like, you know, personally, how I deal with it is like, I don't dwell on those problems. I kind of, on the day to day, I kind of just figure out what I need to do and do it. And that's how I sort of stay hopeful because then I'm actually doing something and that makes me feel like I'm, 
you know, making some contribution, however small it may be. But yeah, I wonder like how you sort of approach that. I don't know if I necessarily have uh, developed a well-refined approach, but I think all the problems you mentioned, they're all happening at the same time. I think this kind of makes it the perfect time for things to change. So for a long time, interest rates were low, house prices were going up, there was no inflation, supposedly at least, the stock market was doing amazingly for a decade and a half. And it's hard to really convince people that anything is wrong or that anything needs to change when everything is going so smoothly. But I think now this could be a real catalyst to change, kind of everything is being revealed for what it is. And I think this might be the perfect time to convince people that we need to do something. So that's a optimistic way of looking at all the bad stuff going on, I guess. Yeah.